0: Thanks for joining me tonight. I'm your host, Russ Snow. Tonight I'll be by myself, Andrea, uh, will join me on the Normally Scheduled Podcast. So this is episode one, the Homestead Underground Podcast. Uh, a nod, a wink to Daryl Cooper and Jocko Willink, two of my favorite podcasters. And uh, today's date is 8th of September, 2022. And uh, so the Homestead Underground Podcast is just going to be basically a short, free-flowing thought on... Things related to the homestead, politics, philosophy, whatever I'm thinking about at that time. Um, and I'm going to try and get back in the ohms. I really am. I spend a lot of time. I have a long commute. I work quite a bit by myself, and I've always got earbuds in, or I've got a podcast on, podcasting the earbuds. In the car, doesn't matter. I'm always trying to get smarter, broaden my horizons, question my name my thoughts. And this, the since uh, January of 2020, I have gone, it was, I take that back. It was all of 2019. I was reading Stoic philosophy. And with the pandemic that started in 2020, um, <clears throat> philosophy and the thought of the why, how do we get here? And how do we make this better has been on my mind constantly ever since. And looking at the Save of the world right now, energy prices in Europe are a big deal and how, uh, especially the Northern members of the EU are gonna to respond to that. Scandinavia, Germany, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. We have put ourselves in this corner with our financial policy that uh, these sanctions are really, really going to hurt Europeans much more than they are the average Russian or the average American. So between the, anyway, I've seen numbers from 500%, you know, five times to 900% in Europe, depending on where you're at for natural gas, your electric bill, power bill, all these different numbers. And who knows how correct any of that is. But if that's even ballpark, it's going to be really rough on the European economy. And my, my biggest concern, two things, that's our second bi- biggest trading partner behind China and Beyond that, pay no attention to all these noises going on. got to clean up my uh, soda. but how are these struggles going to affect uh, the American economy, which affects my family, right? Um, one of the things that I, I never hear talked about uh, because there's there's environmentalism, uh, I, I like to think of myself as a steward of the land or a conservationist. Uh, I'm, every piece of land that I've owned, I've, I've left it better than when I showed up. More productive, better soil quality. But one of the things I, I haven't heard anyone talk about is solar panels as a simple hedge against inflation. It's not saving the planet. It's not about what we do with them in 25 years. It's to protect my family. I can prepay for a good portion of my energy costs today at a known cost. And between rising energy prices, rising electric rates, and just the devaluation of the currency, it it doesn't matter what country you're in, there's inflation now going on everywhere. That's why we bought the solar panels we bought, was a hedge, in my mind, against inflation. And when I bought them, I figured that we were at $100 a month for our home in Milford for our electric bill. And my thought was it would take somewhere between 10 and 12 years to pay back. So now with energy prices creeping up towards almost $300 a month in uh, Oklahoma, three years later, two years later from when we bought them, it's looking like a better and better play. And I'm looking now between at three to five years for payback. And then everything beyond that's just going to be a, a huge bonus. So that's one of the things I would really encourage you to look at um and i'll i'll step out of this for a second and and talk about this so the homesteading life if you didn't receive inherit family land it is really really hard to do in a shoestring budget if you are not making a really decent income and with the ability to for one of you to stay home and do all these things it is really hard, especially in the trades. If you're in a manual job where you're tired when you get off work, it is really home or really hard to come home and work for another four, five hours a night on your place and then go back to a manual labor job the next day. And that's just reality. And a lot of folks don't want to hear that. And I'm sure in my 20s I could have gotten away with that. But the problem is in your 20s your earning power is just so much less. So if you're trying to acquire land and you're not making a good income so that one of you can stay home and homeschool the kids. It just becomes really difficult. So that's one of the things is, what is your earning capacity? How do you increase that? And how do you, you know, kill debt? Um, so I'm going to talk about these things, our journey. And then, uh, so that's one of the things that's going to come up a lot. And hopefully, because if if you're in town and you're making 50000 a year, that's median give or take salary for the country, um, you probably can't go buy 20 acres and a home and on 50 grand a year and have your wife stay home and do all these things. So the question becomes, how do you either increase your income or find land you can lease? There are all these different things. And we're we're going to talk about as many things as I've seen and read, talk about those things. The next thing is you've got, and I, I was in this camp for, you know, probably the first four or five years after the the housing crash in 2008, food storage, it is part of survivalism, it's foundational to it, it's really big in the prepper community, it's really big in the LDS community, it is a fantastic savings account, but you can't live off your savings account, and that's the thing, It, it is a backstop. So one of the things that took me quite a while to really get my arms around and understand is I have food storage, and that is even – because my thing is I have enough for friends and family for a set period of time. If I can help friends out if they lose their job, I may not be able to give them cash, but I can say here's three months' worth of food to help feed your family. Or if I have – if something like COVID, had that continued to go down the path and had been a real thing, um, had family members or friends shown up because they were scared – Uh, worried about not being able to travel, I would have had the food on hand for us not to go to the store for a long time. So that's great. But the thing you have to get past, you can't just have buckets or 55-gallon barrels or a whole cellar full of food. You have to have a way to produce food moving forward. So food production is work, it's failure, it's humbling, it's all those things. But it is the other half of food storage. You have to be able to replace that. Otherwise, you're only good for as much food as you have stored up. So food protection is gonna be something we talk a ton about. The next thing, especially listening to all, and I've gone the entire gamut, right? I've listened to the Ugors, I've listened to the anarchists, I've listened to libertarians, the libertarians. <sighs> All these folks pie in the sky, if they would just read more, we can solve these problems. It's never going to happen. Uh, Human beings, we're we're just not evolved. And after reading Stoic philosophy, 2,500 years later, we're talking about the same problems. Promiscuity, drinking, governance, graft, corruption, all these things. Human condition, as far as I can tell, uh, human beings and their thinking and their emotional reaction, their logic we're no more advanced than they were 2,500 years ago. If if it is evolutionary, if we're advanced, it is very small. So it becomes, I, I don't think, as much as I love Hoppe and I love Rothbard, we're not going to have an agorist movement nationwide, because most men would much rather be safe than free. And that's, it is what it is. And the thing that I always talk about with my with my friends is I have a little pin on a map and I've got 10 miles around my house. I can affect real change in that area over the course of my lifetime. Uh, The local community and, uh, Pete Keonez talks about this quite a bit. You can buy a seat in your local school board in a small rural town for anywhere from one to, you know, or $6,000 at the high end. If you put that much money into a campaign and you're smart about things, it's signs, it's getting out and meeting people in a community where you're already invested in known, you're going to be the name they see. That's going to affect real change. Your county commission. So in rural counties, your county commissioners, your sheriff, and your school board are the three most important elected structures in that county. And for any one of those, so the sheriff Maybe it's $10,000 $10, you have to put into a campaign. But I guarantee if you find somebody that has similar views and you put a couple thousand dollars into their campaign, they're going to pick up the phone when you call. And you're going to have, again, you're, you're not buying that politician for two grand, but you're going to have influence. And in, until, and then that's Jason Stapleton, I think either him or uh, Matt, one of his co hosts, used to say, The whole point of working and becoming affluent and and having extra money isn't necessarily to just to be rich or to get rich and run for office. Why not just go buy buy a politician? They said it as a throwaway line, but the reality of it is if you have enough extra income where you can throw these, you don't have to run for a school board. But if you know someone who's like-minded, who has the time, who's committed to it, and you throw... Five hundred bucks, a thousand dollars into their election campaign—that is a huge thing. You can affect real change that way. And I'll—I'll always—I'm going to come back to this a ton: local community versus yelling at strangers on the internet versus national politics. As smart or as rich or as awesome of a person as you may be, if you're listening to this podcast, odds are you do not have any ability to affect national politics. And then yelling at strangers online. Everybody loves to troll. Everybody loves to dunk on folks online. I've never seen anyone change their mind on because of a Facebook post about calling people names or pointing out the hypocrisy of the other side, any of those things. But getting on <clears throat> the ability of your uh, county commission to set laws to punish folks who don't agree with you in your politics, encourage them to move elsewhere. Because we're getting to that point on the sorting and the sifting is thinking that we can all get along and I just want to be left alone and there's somebody that will take care of me that thinks like I do. It's just not enough anymore. So I think you're going to have to, if you're have enough time and enough disposable income to do the homesteading thing, I think that's one of the things we're going to have to start looking at. Uh, The last thing have got seven minutes left. I'm going to try and keep this under 20 minutes is looking at local institutions that we're not joiners. So I'm a Gen X. Uh, most of the folks that work with are either millennials or zoomers. So I'm a dinosaur. It's fine. I've the great thing about Gen X is we really just don't care. Uh, race, religion, ethnicity, sex, don't care. But are you good at what you do? Are you competent? Do you do what you, you know, told me you were going to do? So those are the things that we're looking at. And, but our generation, the millennials, the Zoomers, they're not joiners. We have all of these institutions in our local communities that are being hollowed out because young folks aren't joiners. So whether it's the Kiwanis, the Lions Club, uh, the American Legion is a fantastic place. You can go in existing networks, a lot of times they'll have a storefront or a building they own outright, free and clear. Everything's done. You're not recreating anything, you're not filing nonprofit paperwork, you're not jumping through all these hoops, it's already there. And if you have three or four like-minded friends who are under 50, you can walk in that door and folks will happily give up the work for you to do it. Uh, Use those institutions, start thinking about how do we get out in the community And really affect change. And the last thing is about the homesteading. About whether it's a small farm, a homestead, your farming folks' backyards, you have to run it like a business. And everything will transfer over if you go to any other institution in your life. And I'm I'm saying this much more to the Zoomers and the Millennials. Spreadsheets actually counting costs, looking at your labor involved. How much time do I actually spend in the garden? What can I do to get more efficient? Uh, There's a a bunch of folks out there talking about running lean, about lean operations. How do you, number of steps, how do you cut down on picking up eggs, all these different things. And a lot of things, money will solve problems for you, right? But when you're first starting out, you have more time than money. It's that learning period, and always looking at everything with an eye to efficiency. Where you are putting things, gates, which way the gates open. Gates should always open both directions fully. If, they, if it can't, put it somewhere else. But all these things, look at these, look at other folks, ask questions. When you see professionals, contractors, putting a door in a certain way, why do you put it in that way? A lot of times, they have no idea. It's just the way they've always done it. But at the same time, you'll have... Uh, really craftsman level, uh, whether it's carpenters or framers, doesn't matter, who will be able to tell you the reasons why and how it makes life faster and and more efficient. There is so much to be learned on on that side. So the big takeaways on – and it looks like the Build Back Better Bill, Inflation inflation Reduction Act, whatever it ends up being called – the solar panel, 30% is back. As far as a credit, the for windows, doors, anything, Energy Star. So it's one of those things to be looking at just as tax, less than your tax. I'm no tax professional. I'm not giving you advice. But it's definitely something to think about on, on your house. Is this a time to do these things? And, and for Andrew and I, we're looking at everything with the eye of we're in our late 40s. If we're putting things to get on the house, we're going to last you know, for a minimum of 30 years. That's probably the lifetime of the time we're going to be in the house. I'm very much, my, my hope is that um, the Reds and my son, at least one, if not all of them, decide to make our homestead a generational homestead. And that at some point, sooner rather than later, that our, our kids want to come back and Andrew and I will happily give up the big house, let the kids live in the big house, and uh, hoping hoping that we can build them something smaller in the place and just switch. So, looking at trusts, looking at uh, living trusts, how to on the land, how to make this doable, and something that my great grandchildren, who I'll never meet or know, have a place that they own, that has space for them, that lets them be in the outdoors. But that's everything for tonight. Two minutes and 30 seconds under. Uh, these are all things we're going to explore and talk about. But uh, this is, again, this underground podcast is for two reasons. The Homestead Underground. This is giving us extra content to help. And then I'm trying to hone my craft, get used to this, listen, see what I did better, see what I can improve on, and get us to the point where our hope is at some point the farm completely replaces andrea's teaching income and that's where we're trying to get to and i would really like by the time i'm ready to retire to have all these things done as well so there's a little bit of selfishness in there for sure but as always thank you for listening if you have any questions please in the comments below send us an email and uh, we'll try to get the answer thanks for listening